Welcome, Bank Holiday Sunday crowd. Well done for, thank you, Josie, for, um, for being here. I suspect we're, we're a little thin in number just because there's probably people still away. Sorry, camera guys, I've probably messed up everything. Um, and if you were here this morning, uh, permission to switch off or switch on your devices or leave if you wish, because uh, uh, this is a bit of a repeat of this morning. Apart from Husey, you're not allowed to leave because uh, otherwise there'll be no sound. Um, yeah, we, we, know, we know who has the power around here. Um, Hope your summer's going well. August goes very fast, doesn't it? And we're sort of whizzing into, oh my goodness, it's nearly September and a whole bunch of things get going in. I hope it's been a good time for you, restful and, and all of that. Uh, best kind of photo image of the last few weeks? I wonder what you put out. I, f- I failed dismally to even bring a photo myself of my own favourite photo. But apart from our granddaughter, our new granddaughter, which would obviously be the number one, uh, definitely the Premier League football table right now would be my favourite photo, for sure. Um, <laughs> oh, it'll last because Arsenal have now got Jesus. I mean, that's, if you don't understand that reference, uh, you need to speak to somebody who does. But now that Arsenal have got Jesus, you know, there's no stopping us. We are literally unbeatable. Um, worst photo in my memory of the last few weeks, of which I was a small part, um, hundreds of cars queuing for the channel ports and thousands of lorries probably. And I hope none of you are sort of too caught up in all of that. We had the blessing of going away on holiday. And actually, it wasn't too bad for us by the time we got there. But a couple of days before, there were like all these you know, huge, great queues. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, first world problem, I know. But nonetheless, nobody loves waiting in a queue, do they? In fact, nobody loves waiting. Nobody loves waiting for anything, I think. And that's kind of understandable. But I was thinking about that as we, we come to the theme this morning, uh, this evening, and, and uh, just let me ask you then, you could even turn to a neighbor if they're friendly enough, and you could, say, and you could tell them what you're waiting for. Uh, now, now, there could be a range of things, and you might want to reveal the more, you, you know, the more sort of sensitive ones, but perhaps you could just have, take 20 seconds. What are you waiting for? There's a bit of murmuring. We're in touch with some of our waitings. Okay, I haven't given you much time. I told you 20 seconds. Maybe your, your cogs are still whirring. But you, the, the experience of waiting is common to everybody. Of course it is. And we don't love it. I wish I had learnt lots of things earlier in life. And one of them would be that waiting is just normal. And it's for everybody. And it happens. Kind of, in a way, get over it. Although I don't mean that literally. But waiting is common to all of us. You can all name something that you're waiting for. And I appreciate that there is a scale. Of course there is. From the more trivial, the more temporary, the more kind of first world issues like, you know, waiting in a queue for a, a nice ferry to a nice country on holiday or waiting at a red traffic light or, or whatever. But then that scale goes up, doesn't it? It by grades and there's a whole bunch of things that are actually quite significant. We're waiting for a medical appointment maybe or we're waiting for, for toothache to go away, as horrible as that is. Or we're waiting for long COVID to get, disappear or we're waiting for depression to lift or we're waiting for a new relationship that we'd love or... Um, we're waiting to see if we can have a baby. We're waiting for uh, restoration of a relationship with a loved one, or maybe somebody that is close to you to come to faith, or, or whatever. We're waiting for a government to change. We're waiting for the war to finish. We're waiting for a pandemic to come to an end. There is a whole spectrum, would you agree? I want to distinguish between, if I may, those kinds of things that we're waiting for where we do know that the outcome will happen. They're still difficult and testing and, and whatever, but the red light will eventually change. 
we kind of know that. We're stuck in the queue or you know, the supermarket. We will eventually get to the cashier. We do know that. We know the outcome. It's just testing in the meantime. We've, we've got a broken leg. It will heal. We do know that as an outcome. It's just waiting in the, in the meantime is, is annoying. What it requires is patience. But then a whole bunch of things, and maybe you were brave enough to share one of these if, if you knew the person well enough. There's a whole bunch of things that we're waiting for, and we do not know whether, we get, whether the outcome's going to happen or not. Some of those things that I mentioned just now, you're not sure if that's good. There's no guarantee of those things. Well, we need more than patience in that respect, don't we? We need hope. We need not to lose hope because waiting tests us. And it tests our heart and it tests where our, our hope is. So how do you wait with hope? How do you wait well, if you want to put a simple term on it? How on earth do we wait well? It's the common experience of all of us. How do we do that? And I stupidly, subconsciously cling to the notion that somehow waiting is wrong. I don't know why I think that. But I somehow feel waiting is, it shouldn't happen. It, it, it definitely shouldn't happen for long. And our Western culture reinforces that. Most of you, many of you are the Amazon generation where instant everything is the order of the day. It's what we've kind of grown up with. So our culture is always saying, of course, you, you should be able to expect to get what you want, and you should be able to expect when you, uh, to get it when you want it, and the advertisers are always pushing that thing. And if we don't, it's because something's gone wrong. And we may not be able to fix it, or we may, or somebody else should be able to fix it, but essentially something's gone wrong if we, if we can't get what we want and get it now. If only the passport office did a slightly better job, we wouldn't have to wait quite so long for our party. If only the border control people in Dover, and especially on the French side, got their act together, then the queues would be a little bit shorter, and we wouldn't have to wait. So if only this, if only my friend hadn't done that, if only, the, if only this person who's letting me down on, I'm waiting for them to sort themselves out, if only they would just change, if only my spouse would change. But if only X, Y, Z, fill in the blank in the XYZ, then I wouldn't have to wait so long. Somebody should be able to fix it, surely. Surely there's, there should be more dentists or there should be more doctors or somebody. So I don't have to wait so long for, for medical treatment, whatever. And friends, because we don't like waiting, nobody likes waiting. I don't believe, any, if I ask for a show of hands, nobody in the room likes waiting. Um, because we don't like waiting and because there's a part of us that thinks, well, and the, and the culture that we're in suggests that it's kind of wrong. We can bring some of that into our relationship with God and we can end up saying, well, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I thought that you answered prayer. I thought that you promised good things. I thought that you'd come through for me. I thought that, I thought that. And you haven't, so where are you? And what are you doing? And I know that I'm tapping into some of those more sensitive areas. I do understand that tonight. There will be, I'll be pushing on some sore spots in, in the room, in a room this size, of course, because waiting can be incredibly painful. And waiting as followers of Jesus, actually, doesn't lessen the pain in many ways. In some ways, it makes it more complicated, precisely because we do believe in a loving and a powerful God, but he doesn't seem to be coming through for us. Sorry if it's not very cheery, by the way. I appreciate it would have been more fun to speak about a light thing on a bank holiday Sunday, but it's where, it's where the Lord seemed to, to take me. So how on earth do we deal with that and get it right? And we project this onto God. God, you've got it wrong. Well, good luck with that one. Eileen Gruder says this, to be impatient with the Lord, our Father, chronically, habitually impatient with him because things aren't to our liking, that makes the Christian life a terrible burden. Our culture teaches us that, that waiting is a waste. 
that business and productivity are good, that we should be able to control everything about our lives, that there are time limits, there are expectations in which everything should be completed or fixed or thrown away. And it teaches us that if we must wait, if we must wait, then somehow we're being abused because something's gone wrong. It's such a me-centered view, she says. The next sentence, which I couldn't fit on the slide, says this, but the word of God teaches something completely different. Once again, we find ourselves needing to separate ourselves from some of the values of the culture, the instant everything, and the expectations that that arises with what the Bible actually says and teaches and models about waiting. And it's full of people waiting, by the way. Of course it is, right from beginning to end. Sarah and Abraham, remember, you're going to have a baby, and they had to wait, and Moses had to wait, and actually the whole people of God had to wait about 400 years for the promised Messiah. In Hebrews 11, there's a rather provocative challenging phrase where it talks about and these people talking about some people of faith they died yet not having received what was promised but still believing they didn't even get to the outcome of what they were waiting for bible's full of it sometimes obviously the waiting is the result of bad things often it might be our waiting might be unnecessary because it's been caused by bad things by sin by our own or somebody else's you know, Joseph ended up waiting for about 10 years, probably more. How many was it? 10, 12 years, something like that, in a prison through the evil of somebody else, the evil of his brothers who threw him down a pit, literally trying to kill him, and then through the evil of Potiphar's wife who got in a bit of a rage because he wouldn't sleep with her, and so he ended up being in jail. So it was the evil of somebody else's sin that ended up Joseph having to wait all of that time, but the Bible nowhere says that waiting is a waste. You won't find that in the scriptures. It nowhere says that waiting is a really, really bad thing and it shouldn't happen. If we just were better people, it would never happen. If the more clever or the tech worked a bit better, we would never wait. It doesn't, it doesn't say that anywhere. And the encouragement, therefore, is this, not to waste times of waiting. Because waiting is part of life, it's not wrong. Embrace it. Don't waste it. Because there's something incredibly significant about waiting. That's the good news. That it's the fertile soil in which God does amazing things if we let him. There's the big if, by the way. It's not automatic. If we will let him, God will use periods of, of waiting. I've got a pastor friend who says this. God only uses two things to grow us. He literally only uses two things to grow us. I'm not sure it's completely true, but it's nearly true in the scriptures. What are those two things that he uses to grow us if we want to be grown? Pain and waiting. In my view, waiting is pain, so that's basically one thing. <laughs> we don't grow outside of our comfort zones, friends. It's one of the conversations I'm going to have with the Lord when we get there. Lord, why couldn't I stay comfortable and grow at the same time? No, it doesn't work like that. You don't grow. We all love comfort. Of course we do. We default to our the places where we're comfortable. That's fine, but we don't grow there. We only grow outside of them where we're taking a risk or we're stepping out or whatever. And one of the things that is uncomfortable is pain. Very uncomfortable by definition. And so is waiting. But it's a place where we can grow if God will let us, a place where God wants to transform us. And friends, he wants to transform us. I say this to myself often because I don't want to take it as read. Do I actually want to grow? Do I want to change? Do I want to be a different person. I want to be somebody more like Jesus. So yes, of course, the Lord accepts us as we are. Square one, Christian faith. Loves everybody unconditionally without limit. But part of that love is precisely to say, let me help you to change for your good. 
and for the good of the world, by the way, because the world at its worst needs the church at its best, and put the church at its best, people like you and me need to be those who are refined and grown and transformed by the love of Jesus and have our hearts become more like the heart of, of Jesus himself. So how on earth do we do it? How does this work? Waiting is so difficult and painful, or it can be very, very often. But we will make it even more painful, actually, in the end. It will be even worse if we waste our times of waiting. How do we wait in a way that enables us to keep hopeful? How do we wait in a way that's healthy and well? Well, we're just dipping into the Psalms for a couple of Sundays. Simon led us last week. You remember in Psalm 1, we explored that beautiful opening psalm. We're in Psalm 40 tonight, so I want you to find it, please, on a device. I've got a few of the words on the screen, but it'd be helpful to have it open in a Bible or an iPhone, whatever. I'm going to read a few verses, not all of it. And uh, some of these ones will come up on the screen as well. So, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us through your word, I pray. Speak to us, Father. I believe that we all want to, to, to grow in our ability to deal with waiting healthily, however super painful it, it, it is. I waited patiently for the Lord, says Sir David. I waited patiently, there's that word, for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, the mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song, love that, in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. But more blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who doesn't look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders that you've done, the things that you've planned for us. None can compare with you. We've been singing something about that tonight. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering you don't desire, but my ears you've opened. Love that. Have you got open ears? Burnt offerings, sin offerings you don't require. A bit later on, verse 8, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written within my heart. And I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I don't seal my lips, as you know. Verse 11, don't withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love, your faithfulness always protect me. Verse 12, for troubles without number, surround me. My sins have overtaken me, I can't see. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Verse 13, come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. A little bit later, 16, may all who seek you rejoice, be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. As for me, I'm poor and I'm needy. Lord, think of me. You're my help. You're my deliverer. You're my God. Don't delay. We love the Psalms. Of course we do. I'm saying nothing new. We love them. Why? They're in the center of the book and there's 150 of them. Yeah, right there. I don't think it's an accident there. Right there, 150 songs, poems. And what are they? They are the beautiful expression of the entire range of human emotion. All the emotions that you and I can experience or could name or could write down, they're there. It's one of the reasons that we love them. Jesus quoted them often, more than any other book, by the way. Bill Johnson, pastor in America, he says, when I, well, he says every day, in fact, he says, I, I open the Psalms often and I'll read until I find my emotion in the Psalm. And then I'll pause there and, and let the full sort of gravity of it help me. And how does it help? Well, it helps these songs, they help to connect us to ourselves. They, they give us language for our own, what we're feeling and experiencing, helpfully, because sometimes I haven't got the words. So look, the psalmist is, you know, and there's an empathy there and we get it, because human nature doesn't change. Even more significantly, they connect us to, to other people who are going through similar things. They definitely connect us, though, most of all to the Lord. 
these songs and poems, they, they, they have the effect of eventually lifting us despite whatever's going on in our emotions. They lift us, they help us to see who God is, what he's done, what he's promised, what he's said. There's encouragement there and affirmation. But God appears so often in the Psalms. And we get to a healthier place in our waiting. That's why we love them. Verse 12 is, is uh, just to note, we kind of start, I know it's you know, halfway down the psalm, but 12, let's just note what's happening. Here's David, he's writing this song of praise, by the way, it's one of the, one of the 150, it's in the book. He's writing it, yes, looking back on some past experiences where he's waited and God has come through for him, but do you notice he's writing it in the middle of another one? Lord, what does he say, verse 12? Troubles without number surround me that he can't fix. Let's just hit on the head, by the way, the lie, the, the attractive, seductive lie that goes, when you've had your period of waiting, it comes to an end, praise God, and now you don't have to wait again. No, sorry, you just wait for the next thing. Waiting, remember, is not wrong, it's part of life, it's normal, and it's for everybody. Now, you might not be like, you know, in a painful moment of waiting, uh, but if you're not, then I'm afraid that that will come, not in, not in a time of waiting where you, you need hope for something, and, you know, there's a, there's a wrestle for that hope. But it will sure come. It has come and it will come, even if it's not right now. But, you know, wait, waiting piles upon waiting. So here he is. He's, he's waiting again. He's looking back on, a, on an experience which is going to help him. It's going to help us too. We don't know what the situations are, by the way, either in verse 12 or in verse 1. We don't know what the slimy pit was that he was rescued from. doesn't really matter. It's quite helpful because it kind of applies to everything. And by the way, uh, it, it could have been through a consequence of his own Sin and foolishness. He's saying, actually, in verse 12 here, my sins have overtaken me. He's saying, yeah, there's some stuff inside me which is probably causing some of this problem. And he's owning that, and he's confessing that, and we need to do the same. We need to go, well, actually, God, as you shine your, your love and the light of your word and truth upon us, on my heart, I, I, I recognize that I've probably brought a lot of this on myself, so help me. Confess that stuff. That's an internal kind of wrestle, but he's talking about external uh, pressures too. He talks about enemies and people wanting to attack him and throw him down and, and that sort of stuff. So whether it's a, an internal enemy or an external... By the way, in the Psalms, when you read enemy, and, and, uh, and often the psalmist is going, God, will you kill them? You know, God, will you, will you grind them to pulp, please? Or will you break all their legs and chop their heads off kind of stuff? Uh, it's read through a New Testament lens. Can we read not people? When we read enemy, don't read people. Because people actually are never our enemy. The enemy is the enemy. He'll use people, and there'll be people that we don't like, but we're to love people because Jesus did, and we're to be like Jesus. So when you see enemy, read battle, challenge, difficulty, right? So internal stuff, external stuff, or just the outworking of a broken world where stuff happens, and you have a health issue, and it's nobody's fault. It's just the result of living on a broken planet, and it's hard because... You've got to wait to see what the diagnosis is. It's hard, or the, the loved one that you're with, or you've got to wait for treatment. You're not sure if it's going to work to take a, a health example, or it's a, you know, something else. Or you're waiting for that next stage in life. Your yearning is for boyfriend, girlfriend. Your yearning is for marriage. Your yearning is for start a family, whatever. Your yearning is for that loved one to, to come back to the Lord. You're waiting for a new job, maybe. It's a time of transition, maybe you're in that place. I was talking to a good friend this morning who was visiting. He's uh, sadly been made redundant through a massive injustice, actually. He's got a lot of forgiveness issues to sort out. He's now been thrown immediately into a period of waiting, waiting. Where, where does, where's the next thing coming from? It's really tough. It puts the pressure on. 
Okay, enough. Let's get to the how-tos. Just got a few headlines. I'll, I'll be reasonably quick. I'll speak fast. Um, but from the psalm, just to notice, how, how, how does David handle this then? How does he handle waiting in a way that maintains his hope? Number one, he prays. Let's not miss that. He prays honestly, really, authentically, fervently, emotionally, all those elise words, adverb words, he prays them in that way. Because waiting doesn't mean not asking for help. Please notice, verse one, all over, and in fact, all over the psalm, help, 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 help. Good parents embrace the idea of their kids who are asking for help when they're in trouble. What good father wouldn't, good mother wouldn't want to do that? We have a heavenly father. Praise God, his shoulders are broad enough for all of the impatience and the anger and the emotion and everything that David is feeling here and that we feel, and he encourages the expression of all of that. Please let's not fall for a religious God who's, you know, I can't really you know, express my anger or I can't really do, you know, bring that stuff to him. Absolutely not. Here's David, as honest uh, as, honest as the, the day is bright. There's an urgency here. There's a passion. 13, be pleased to say, come quickly, Lord. I hate this. Let's be happy to use the same language or to inhabit the language of the psalm. Um, Psalm 13, we may end with this tonight. Lord, how long? How long, O Lord, how long? How long is this going to go on for? Psalm 13, it's a beautiful psalm. That's where it starts. Really raw, really honest. So we don't know what the, the slimy pit was, but he couldn't get out of it. He couldn't fix his own waiting. It's draining, it's painful, it's frustrating. It's all of those adjectives, but he brought all of that to God. He didn't take it somewhere else. He took it to God, and we've got the record of it. So let's just notice, how do we wait, wait healthily? Well, we continue to bring all of that stuff, the pain of waiting, the difficulty, the angst, the tears to a father who doesn't judge us for that, doesn't condemn us, doesn't say smarten up your act, doesn't say, well, why haven't you done this, that, and the other? ever. You need to hear that. But David doesn't so fixate on his problem, the whatever the problem is, or the, the, the waiting for the outcome, that he misses everything else. He praises God. He chooses praise. He chooses praise again and again. The psalm is full of praise. I'm not going to read the verses. I found this illustration helpful to me as I was thinking about this. You're, you're driving a car, those who drive. The windscreen is covered in mud. There's lots of mud on, on it. And you don't want it to be there, but it is there. If you fixate on the mud, and that's the only thing you look at, two feet in front of your nose, I'm going to drive into a lamppost. It's not going to go well in the car if, if I'm looking at the mud only here, right? If I manage somehow to look through the mud to my destination, mud's still there. It's not moved. It's just that I'm not focused on it. I'm not so fixated on it that I can't see where I'm going, and it's going to be okay. We can so fixate on the issue that we're waiting to be resolved that it can almost fill up the windscreen and cloud everything else, and we will crash. The devil will tempt us. We'll come to that to think that we won't, but we will. And yet here's David choosing praise, choosing many, Lord God, many of the wonders that you've done, things that you planned for us. Talks about a new song in his mouth. Friends, some of us are thinking, yeah, but hang on, Tim. When I'm waiting, and it's really painful, because I really, I'm in a desperate place, that kind of waiting, longing for hope. How could I praise authentically? How could I have a song in my mouth when it's so hard? Friends, that's what we mean when we say a sacrifice of praise. 
Don't think that David was different from us. He managed to praise. There's lots of people who are managing to praise in the midst of great trial. Does that make it inauthentic? No. I don't want to ride this hobby horse, but it's interesting. I am a wordy kind of a guy. You, you know that. I'm worried about an interpretation of the word authentic. That means um, going with my feelings. And so if I'm not living out of my feelings, I'm somehow not being authentic. No, I'm really sorry. You're being selfish. And you're making your feelings your God because that, that's what we're doing. If we say, I've got to go by my feelings and that's the only way I can be authentic, we're saying, well, my feelings don't rule me. They've, they're there, therefore, my God. Sorry if that sounds provocative or harsh, and I say it to myself too. But I think there's a, there's a misunderstanding of this, this authentic, authentic, real. David is being completely real here, honest. You can see that. But he's choosing at the same time praise. He's choosing to step into some things that he is going to put on his mouth and declare. And, and even songs. And bless him, he wrote this one for us, for our benefit. One author says this, by the way, about songs. Not that praise is just about song, but they're blooming helpful. To be a follower of Jesus, he said, is to have songs in your heart. Agnostic secularism has no carols. It's interesting. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism have no anthems or alleluias. Dreary dirges and, de and deathly chants reveal no hope for the present or the future. But the Christian faith is filled with music. Only the message of Jesus puts a song in a person's heart. I find that quite interesting, you know, discuss. But I'm not saying I go with it 100%, but, I, but there is a song in our heart. Why wouldn't there be? Because Father God has loved us enough to send his son Jesus to be pierced on a cross for us in order that we might know the love of the Father again. There's a song in our heart right there if we'll sing it. And, and David um, sings it despite being in the midst of trial and pain and difficulty. He can still say, great are you, Lord, verse 16. God, you're great. God, you're great. God, you are great. You are good. You're great. And it, lots of expressions of it. And again, friends, I want to ask us, if we can only say, God, you're great, when you do the thing that I want you to do, when you answer the prayer that I'm desperate for you to answer, when the outcome of my waiting is resolved, if I can only say that God is great then, when he has served my needs, I'm thinking what kind of God would that be? Just a God who exists to serve my needs. Have we not got that the wrong way around right there? Don't I exist? He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe you anything. But he's chosen to to love us and, and call us into relationship. But he's, he's the Lord. So to say God is great only when I get what I want, uh, we need to challenge ourselves about that. Um, I, won't quote, I won't quote Andy Murray. Yes, I will quote Andy Murray. Not that Andy Murray. Different Andy Murray. Wrote a book a couple of hundred years ago. I think he was Andrew, actually. But he was Scottish. He says this, We praise not because the present is easy, but because God is good and the future is glorious. In the midst of interminable longings and delays. You know some, do you know something of that? There's some people in the room who know something of that. And it's painful and hard. But the Father is setting the stage for a mind-boggling, joy-expanding, never-ending celebration around his table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And more than anything, more than anything that we can imagine, more than anything that we might be waiting for on earth, that is something worth waiting for. Praying.
praising, the sacrifice of praise. And then trusting God and not trusting people. Verse 4, David talks about, uh, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who doesn't look to the proud, or if you like, who doesn't look to human solutions, who doesn't look around for, for something different. Waiting is testing, isn't it? Literally, it's a test. And tests are designed to be passed. We don't like them, but they're quite good. And one of the things that tests do is that they reveal what's there. They reveal what's there. Times of pressure. Waiting is a pressure. Pressure reveals what's there. And we might not like what we see always, but there's no condemnation, just challenge. And what we might see in ourselves in a time of waiting is what's really there. And what is there? Helps us to see what really matters. Am I more interested in uh, getting to the far side of the waiting, getting the outcome of what I'm waiting for, or am I more interested in what God might be doing through me and in me in the time of waiting? Am I prepared to trust him and to keep trusting him? And I, don't, I have my why questions and I don't know all the reasons why the, why the delay, but am I prepared like David to lean into God, to trust him, rather than to turn to other things so that he can grow my trust, so that he can grow my faith, so that he can grow my character, so I become a bit more like Jesus. Again, back to that question, do you want that? Is that what we want? Because waiting is fertile soil for it. That's the good news about waiting, as hard as it feels. Uh, Rick Warren, know that name? He wrote the best-selling book, I think, outside of the Bible. I think it's still true. Uh, called The Purpose Driven Life many years ago. Many of you have read it. If you haven't, please do. Uh, there's a 40-day version where you, where you have sort of little chunks of it. Uh, and we're doing it as a family at the moment. And we have a sort of separate WhatsApp and we're communicating about it. And friends, it is absolutely brilliant to be taken back right to the core of things. It, it, I think if I could, I'd have us do it every year, once a year, because it goes, what matters again? H how do I get so distracted by things which are sort of minor and not major? Oh, and this is something that just brings us back to the major stuff. He, he summarizes the five main purposes of why you and I are on planet Earth. I mean, we need to know that, right? And the way that he puts it is your plan for God's pleasure. That's something about worship. The, the chief end of man is to glorify God forever. There's something about worship of God. You're formed for God's family. That's something about our connectedness, our togetherness, and for what we call fellowship. We're uh, something shaped for serving God, shaped for serving God. We're to give our gifts and our talents, put them at the disposal of his church and, and, and through his church. You're created, sorry, you're, yeah, I've missed one. You're created to become like Christ. That's discipleship. That's, you know, we, we're, we're to become more like the, the one that we follow. We're shaped for serving God. And then finally, you're made for mission to reach out with God's mission, what is, what is most pressingly on the heart of God always, it is that people join his family. That's his mission. One day it'll be finished. And his agents are people who are already in the family. Those that, that's it. It's an incredible book. I, I'd love to rave more about it, but I, I haven't got time. And he writes amazingly and leaves memorable phrases for us. The most important things in life aren't things. Our achievements are much less important to God than our attitudes. Ooh. Ouch, right there, in an achievement-oriented society. I'm not saying, he's not saying they're not important. But to God, stuff in our hearts, our character, that's the stuff that lasts, that's the legacy. That we're not at the center of everything, that eternity is beckoning, and there are only two options. Eternity with him forever, eternity without him forever. And how that works out is determined before we die, not after. So when it comes to the reality of pain, uh, of, of waiting, and the pain associated with that, very, very real, very sharp often, 
what God does in us while we're waiting, if we'll let him, is actually likely to be even more significant than the thing we're waiting for. It's a tough thing to say, isn't it? But I believe it to be true. By the way, Josie and I are comparing notes on this book that I keep waving at you. Can I just wave it again metaphorically? Safely Home, Chinese Persecuted Christian. Read it uh, if you want to be changed and, and not just be challenged, but in a, in a be- encouraged in a beautiful way. But the eternal perspective and how it works out in the life of this believer who had almost nothing to wait for on earth, uh, frankly, uh, you know, a really, really challenging, tough life. And yet, in the underground church, such a sense of who God is, such a sense of what they've been saved from and for, uh, the most powerful impact on people around, immense joy arising in hearts of people who have nothing you know, material to celebrate, extraordinary peace in the middle of great trial as they wait for home because they know where home is. I find it super helpful in the orientation of my own convictions. It's a work in progress. Um, so yeah, we hold, our, we hold our why questions. Of course we do the things that we don't know, but we still have our what what to do. We don't understand the waiting necessarily, we don't understand the pain of it, but we still have some what's, and the what's are pr- keep praying, keep on praying, keep on praising, keep on choosing God's path, keep on choosing trust over human solutions, keep on choosing that over things that we might want, or, or the escape routes that we might want to run down. I was thinking the, the classic Abraham and, and Sarah story. So yeah, they're really struggling, waiting for this baby to arrive. They, they think they heard God right, they've promised a baby, but man, they're gonna, it's a struggle to wait, and they take things into their own hands, don't they? You might remember the story, and after several years, it hasn't happened, so Abraham thinks, hey, I'll go off with the servant girl, Hagar, and we'll have a baby with her, and maybe that will fix the thing. Does that fix it? No. They produce Ishmael, and you know, it doesn't go well. Eventually, God is incredibly merciful, and Sarah does conceive, and, the, and, and there's Isaac, but the Ishmael was the man-made solution. I remember I told the story this morning. Hills and I, uh, when we were married, um, fairly soon after we were married, we were fortunate enough to be able to look for a house to buy, and we knew that God had said it's in this area, this place where we were living, because the church was there. We ran the youth group in the church, and we just needed and wanted to be in that area and felt God say so. We looked at a bunch of houses. None of them were any good. We couldn't believe it. We're waiting. We're frustrated, that whole thing. So what do we do? We go to another town to start looking at houses which look more attractive over there. Well, how well do you think that went? The man-made solution, the kind of, oh, let's circumvent God and kind of the shortcut to end our waiting. We had the worst week of our marriage. Well, probably. (laughs) I don't know if it was or wasn't. I've had a few bad ones, but (laughs) it wasn't good. Why? Because we just, we weren't, we didn't embrace waiting. God doesn't say love waiting, but he does say don't waste it. Trust him. And the escape routes. You know, why does temptation work? Temptation works because it's attractive. So there is always the the seductive call of the attractive alternative. When you're miserable, when I'm in pain, when you just don't like circumstances of life and you want to do something about it. And so actually, at that moment, the fridge is an attractive alternative for many of us. Or porn, or BBC Sports, or the pub, or you know, whatever, poison of your choice. Not always poisons, by the way, but in that context, poisons, because in that context, these are escape routes where I'm going to get some temporary relief, right? It's going to be better if I do that thing, says the whisper magnified of the enemy. Is it ever better? Of course it's not. We end up feeling more guilty, more rubbish, more empty, more hopeless. When will we learn? I say to myself. 
Beware of your escape routes, by the way, if you're not. You need to be able to name them. I hope you can. So, of course it is tempting to go there. Of course it is. But what's David teaching us? What's the Lord saying? I've got grace for you to keep turning to me. I've got grace for you to keep looking through the muddy windscreen and praising God because I'm good, because I am loving, even when it doesn't feel like I am. It's why we need to continue to gather and, and, and do all those things that we do that reinforce our experience of a good God. So it's not just a kind of set of convictions here, but it's, a, it's, it's felt experiences here that we bank and we go, like David, I remember I was in that pit and I couldn't get out and it was horrible, but you came through for me because you love me. And even in this moment, I'm not sure that you love me. I'm remembering those moments and I'm being reinforced by my mates who are telling me he does love you. Why do we gather like this? What's part of, the, part of the purpose? Why do we invite people here? Part of that purpose is so that God puts courage into us and truth into us and we speak our declarations over each other. I need to finish. Uh, just notice the obedience, so that's all part of it, isn't it? Um, staying obedient. I desire to do your will, my God, he says. <clears throat> I mean, bottom line, bottom line, what is this following Jesus all about? It's Surely it's about going, well, he's Lord, I'm not, therefore Everything that he says and wants for me in my life is going to be better for me than what I want and what I say. So which am I going to go for? Which am I going to obey, if you like, to use a, an old-fashioned, un, unfashionable word, but a great Bible word. Let's redeem obedience. Let's hear it for obedience being a beautiful thing, a long obedience in the same direction, in small little choices daily. It's not usually the big, big things. It's usually just a series of tiny little choices every day. And we have the choice to choose the attitude, to choose the, the heart that we go with. Not religious, by the way. He says here in verse 6, I've not been very good at re referring to the scriptures, sorry, but you've got it in front of you. Read it again. Uh, he, not, not the religious stuff. He says, burnt offerings, sin offerings, you don't require, because there's a, that sometimes those things become the religious thing, that are, a transaction. If I, if I, I, I'm in a time of waiting. So if I, Tim says, if I just pray enough, and I just go to church enough, and I just join a life group enough, and if I just do that enough, and if I talk to friends, and da 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 da, then God's going to come through for me. No, I'm not saying that. It's not a transaction. God doesn't owe us anything, and He certainly won't sell us anything. But those are the kinds of things that are going to reinforce my leaning in towards the Lord in this time of pain. The hardest part of waiting, somebody says, the hardest part of waiting well is it requires dying to self. I think that's true of the whole Christian life. It's not possible to wait well with one foot demanding my will and the other surrendering to God's will. You're either all in or you're all out. It's true, isn't it? We want, we want to have it both ways. No can do. But we need to know that God is for us, which he is. The Lord longs, Isaiah 30. David could say this with a, with, a, with a full heart. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. So blessed are all who wait, who wait on him. Blessed. You want God's blessing? There's blessing in waiting. It doesn't feel like it with every fiber of our unredeemed nature. It goes, no with every fiber of the culture screaming in our ear, Amazon going, no, don't wait. But there's blessing in waiting, as hard as it is. He gives testimony. I haven't got time to make that point. But notice, I proclaim 
you're saving it. I don't seal my lips. I'm not silent about it. I'm going to keep saying stuff. That's why we do testimony as often as we can. I encourage you to share testimony in your groups. Because it raises my faith. It raises the faith of the hearer. God answered that prayer. I, I thank you, God. I'm going to proclaim your goodness. I've got clothes on my body. I've got food in my belly. I've got a roof over my head. I've got interesting things to do during the day. I've got nice people to do them with. I'm a blessed person, God. Whatever you can find to give testimony to, give testimony, because it all feeds into the same thing. Waiting well. So here's David. He's described as a man after God's own heart. And yes, he messed up spectacularly. He did, some, he did some rubbish things. But I believe the trajectory of his life was to become more and more and more like the God whom he worshipped and served. And he's a man after God's heart. He gets mature. He gets transformed. Why? Partly because through the crappy stuff of his life, he chooses still to, to, to turn his face towards the Lord, to keep praying, to keep being real, to keep praising, to keep trusting God over the attractive alternative, over the human solution, over the, the, the lure of the culture or the escape route or whatever. He chooses just to keep going that way. And he becomes this man after God's own heart. He won't have seen all of that transformation. We don't often see it in ourselves, like the old bamboo thing. You know, you, bamboo, you, you bury it for, was it four, five, six years or something? It's underground, nothing happens. And then in year six, boom, it explodes 70 feet or something. When did it start growing? Was it just when it was visible? No been growing all the time, just growing underground, growing in the hidden place, in the secret place, maybe in the place of pain. It's where God does his best work. God does his best work in caves. That's a, that's a different talk. Hmm. Can I close with Psalm 13? Do you want to stand? I love our lovely musicians to come up as well they're going to help us with a song in a moment but um, I don't know if David wrote Psalm 13 I didn't do my research sorry but it's the one I quoted from a little bit earlier but can, can we just grab a hold of this it's a bit of a summary isn't it of the whole thing did, did I put this on the screen James or not you did you absolute hero <laughs> I mean just telepathy right there I'll call it prophetic um, shall we read this together or not? No, I'll, I'll read it slowly. Uh, but And friend, maybe this isn't you right now. That's okay. But it could well be the person next to you. Or it could be you next week. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long? Will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me. Answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fail. Great. Great word, Claxon. But. But I trust. I trust. I trust, I trust, I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart praises, rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing the Lord's praise because he has been good to me.